I heard last night that Menashe's fireworks are really good for about 16 minutes, if, to be exact, right? Um, and so it was really good. We knew it was coming. We thought, okay, let's get into bed, and we know that we're going to have to comfort our dog. And uh, about midnight, and yeah, I said, Alyssa, go check on the dog. And my wife was so faithful to allow me to sleep. And so I'm thankful for that. You guys know what I do to my wife, right? I stick her on a roof. I, you know, I do all kinds of crazy things. But um, we've had a good Christmas. Um, we miss seeing you guys on Christmas Day. For you guys that showed up at the doors, we're very sorry. Um, and we apologize in advance. Um, and we're sorry about that. But I hope you were able to enjoy yourself with your family this Christmas holiday. holiday. I know we were. My in-laws were in town. Um, Charlie and Molly Hydes, they're with us today, so just greet them when you can. But um, Awesome, awesome people until about the fourth day into their visit. And then we're like, ah. <laughs> um, actually, you know, as I'm thinking about Charlie and Molly, is like these guys took care of us as we were coming back and forth to the United States and Turkey, and they actually let us live in their basement for a while. And, and so I'm just really thankful for all they've done. And when you do what we've done, is you need advocates in your corner that will fight for you. And, and they were the people that fought for us while we were in Turkey constantly. And so I love them and appreciate them. And our claim to fame is me and Charlie, when we were in, with Youth with a Mission, we would pray about his attractions to all these um, girls, our attractions to these girls, and we would pray about it. And little did we know that we would marry sisters. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so we were friends before we really knew what was ha- going to happen in our life. And it's just funny how God works that way. And we've been friends and now we're brother-in-laws ever since. This morning, I want to talk about being Jesus-centered and people-focused. I really feel like this year is going to be a year that that we are going to try as a church to really do our best to get it right. And why do I say that? Now, we will not be perfect in all that we do, but we will try to honor Jesus in all that we're doing and that we will be people-focused. Because I believe once Jesus is the center of it all, and when we know and realize that He's the affections of it all, that we can actually begin to minister to people. So often we have it backwards where we minister out of our own strength and we forget to really rely on Him for our strength. And so we want to be Jesus-centered and people-focused this year. You know, uh, New Year's and holidays for me are anti-climatic because you're working up, you get all this fervor for this one day and it's coming and then it comes and then it goes. And then you're left to say, what was all that about? And that's the way I always feel when it comes to any important football game, any important event. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And then I get into it and like, this is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And that's the truth. I always come away from big events as wanting to know Jesus more. And I thought about the top ten things that people want to do for New Year's and we all want these things. And so I looked, and I won't tell you my source, but I think it's a good source. But here's the top ten that maybe you've even thought about last night as you were thinking about the New Year's. One is, the number one probably is lose weight and get fit. How many of you guys want to do that? 
Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Quit smoking is number two. Number three is learn something new. Number four, it kind of goes with lose weight and get fit, eat healthier and diet. Um, I know for some of you that will, that lasted about an hour. You woke up this morning and you said, forget that. Um, if you're along with me, that's what I do. And then you spend more time with family. Get out of debt and save money. Travel to new places. Be less stressed. Volunteer and drink less. So you that were up late last night, that one's for you. Drink less. Um, anyway, joke. Sorry, bad joke. But listen to this. We're in good company. A 2007 study from the University of Bristol found that 88% of people who make New Year's resolutions fail. So we're in good company. While the NHS reckons only 1 in 10 of us will actually be successful. While research by private health company says, they said we're slightly a little more positive and found that just 63% of people failed in 2015. Of those polled by this group, nearly half of Brits, 43% lasted less than a month and 66% lasted one month or even less. And so you are in good company if you have made New Year's resolution and you will not keep it. So I would like to applaud you. Let me give you some helpful hints on how to actually have a successful New Year's resolution. Only make one resolution. Don't wait until New Year's Eve to set your goal. It's too late, isn't it? Don't attempt previously failed resolutions. Don't base your goal on what everyone else is doing. I've done that, and I continue to do that. Break your goal into a series of time-based steps. Tell your friends and family what you're aiming for. Regularly remind yourself of the benefits. Give yourself small rewards for achieving your each step. So I want to say it's you that have the... I'm sorry I'm getting off of my sermon a little bit, but you that have that lose weight and get fit, give yourself a small reward and go to MIMS after you've lost that 20 pounds so you can gain all 20 pounds back in one setting. My relatives went there and I skipped out. I was like, I can't do it. It says, give yourself the small rewards, but make your plans and progress concrete by writing it down. Expect to have small setbacks and don't make these a reason to give up altogether. So as I think about the New Year's resolution in the New Year, and I think about the stats that really just kind of are in our face, I often wonder about us as people and as children of God and those who are desiring to please God is so often this flesh has its prominent place in our lives. And I've had one of these moments this week that, you know, I was sick this week. Relatives were in town. uh, Holidays, a lot of busyness. And so this week was really a fleshly week. And not only was it this week, but this month was really a fleshly month. And I, as, as I was thinking and really getting down on myself about my actions and my attitudes, and I'm thinking, Lord God, help me, because I've got to preach a sermon. I've got to get up in front of my relatives, people that really know me well, and I've got to preach about flesh and about the Spirit and my actions and my attitudes. 
And I begin to think, Lord, I can't do this. You know, you have those moments where you just start to shake. and Like, oh God, I can't do this. And this is one of those moments. And so I decided to take no notes for this sermon. So we'll see how long we're here. We shall see. But the thing about it is, as I was thinking about this and about my flesh and about my impatience these days, and just about where I am in life, and I, I, I was kind of down on myself. So Monday, Tuesday, I was not feeling good. But then you come to that time where you just kind of wake up and the Lord says, Wake up. You sure are fleshly. And I'm like, Duh, Lord. I know that. But then he says, then I feel like he said, Go to Galatians 5. So that's where we're at this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we're going to go through Galatians 5. And as I begin to examine my life and I, I begin to examine where I am at as a follower of Christ and realizing that I'm not really hitting any mark at all. And as I begin to read Galatians 5, I begin to take comfort because I realize that there's a war going on. And when I center my life on the one who created me, when I center my life on the one who has me in the grips of his grace and in his hands, I become, I become a calm child again. And you see, as we go into the year 2017, we all have hopes and dreams. And 2016 maybe was not the best year for you. And that's okay. And we don't know what 2017 has in store for us, but if you are like me, I have great hope. And my hope is that Christ will actually invade my space. Christ will invade my life. Christ will invade the family. Christ will invade the church. He will invade the community. And as I begin to wonder, Lord, what, what is going on? What is happening he begins to show me what's happening. So I want to share that with you this morning. And you see that there is a real war that rages and is waging amongst us and it's between the Spirit and the flesh. And we're going to give a litmus test to what we know is the flesh. And really what the flesh is, is, is when we realize the fruit of the flesh, it becomes me-centered. And when the flesh is really in total control, it is all about who? Me. And I have to admit to you this morning that I am doing better this year than I was last year in this area. And I want to encourage you that you should not be the same person that you were last year. You should be changing. You should be growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are ever changing. So let's get into the Scriptures. And I'll, I'll see how it goes. I, I decided to use a small Bible. And I hope I can do it. But let's start. It says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, tell you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. 
Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything What matters is faith working through love. And I want to kind of just so, because we're jumping in right into the latter chapters of Galatians, and I just want to give you a little heads up on what's going on here. There's a group of people that came in, and they were telling the, um, the Gentile believers and the Galatian believers that they needed to be circumcised in order to be right. And Paul is saying, this is not so. And so what they were doing, and they always followed Paul's ministry, and I think the book of Galatians is unique in the history that it has with the church, and it comes really what I believe out of Acts 15. But those have come in and they said, hey, if you do this that, and you are circumcised, you will be right with Christ. And them taking advantage of those who really wanted to seek a holy life. And it's kind of like us that truly have tasted and seen of who Jesus Christ is. So often we want to do whatever we can to please God, don't we? And sometimes we take on laws and rules and regulations that really aren't meant to be when we were called to be free in Christ Jesus. And some, when I talk about this subject, say, do you not like the Jewish people? And or do you have something against them? And I would say, no, but I have something against those who want to put rules and regulations on the believers of Jesus Christ. And that is what's happening here. And so he says this, you are trying to be justified by the law. And actually that law is alienating you from Christ. You have fallen from grace. And so the very one that they started to please, now they are displeasing by their actions. And when I look at the Scripture, I have great hope, but I also see great failure. Because I believe my sinful nature loves to be a legalist. My sinful nature loves to go by rules and regulations. Why? Because then I can measure myself up against a standard. But see, that's what's so unique about the Christian life is our only standard is Jesus Christ. And see, when we're Jesus-centered, we get it right. And this isn't saying that they have fallen from the salvation. I don't think that what Paul is saying that here... But what he's saying is that you've fallen from this grace. And you see it says this in verse 4. No, it's verse 5, sorry. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. You see, there is a day coming that I will stand before God. Seemed like it got really loud. Must be the Lord. Is that I will stand before God righteous and holy. 
And it's like the song we sang this morning, Christ is our righteousness. He is the holiness in us. The hope of glory. And then it goes on to say, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. What matters is our faith working through love. Let's go on to verse 7. I'll keep reading. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from Jesus, the one who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in the Lord you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. You see, what is happening here is Paul is saying, I have confidence in you that you will not follow another gospel. And that our gospel is that Jesus came and lived a sinful life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father. And you see, there were those that came amongst the Galatians and began to confuse them. And you see, some, even amongst us in the American church and in Our communities would say we have to do this and this to be a completed person. And this is what I constantly fight against. Is that we are Jews, or we are Gentiles, called by the grace of God to live a life that is pleasing and holy under the fathers. Under the Father. Verse 11 says, Now brothers... If I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished, been done away with. I wish those who were disturbing you might get themselves castrated. Now, because we're having the first uh, Sunday and the kids are with us, I won't repeat what I just said. The parents, if that question is asked of you, good luck. I will not cover it. But you know what Paul is saying here? I wish those who are disturbing you would also be cut off themselves. Because they are disturbing your salvation. They are disturbing your hope. They are disturbing your faith. You see, the gospel that we preach is all about Jesus Christ. The gospel that we preach is all about the cross where our sins were nailed And where He took upon Himself our transgressions. Not only does it stop there, it gets better. The Gospel that we believe in is that there's an empty grave. That Jesus, the first fruits from the dead, is raised again and we will be with Him one day. You see, verse 13 goes on, For you were called to be free, brothers, Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. And you see, we are called to be free people. And I like what Paul says because us legalists love this. Don't use your freedom to sin. So often we're worried if we preach a gospel of grace and a gospel of freedom that it'll cause people to go and do their own thing, but that's not the truth. When the gospel has transformed your life, you are different. You are not the same person that you were yesterday. And the hope for us this morning is that we're going into a new year, but we are new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And Paul says this, don't give opportunity for the flesh. Why have we been called to freedom? Why have we been called to freedom? It's so that we can serve one another through love. So the freedom that we've experienced from our sins and the freedom that we've experienced to know Christ Jesus is not for ourselves, but for others. You see, us here in this church and in the American church, we thought we've made it all about us and ourselves. And we are a product of our society. But Paul says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. And we can tell when we're not living a Jesus-centered life is when we are biting and devouring one another. And Paul says, be careful. You're going to be consumed. You're going to consume yourselves. And I'm not saying that we don't call out the wrongs. And we don't make the wrongs right. But when we put ourselves at the center, there's not much else right. And then he goes on in verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, so often, and this is how I know where my life has gone awry, is that there's a battle that is waging on a constant basis. And the songs that we sang this morning kind of help us, right? We kind of get centered back into that place where we need to be. And I have to be very honest with you. If I do not take time to get alone and to get in God's presence, I am a man who is undone. There's something about my salvation experience 
There's something about it that when I just begin to walk my life and forget about Christ, forget about His Word, that I become unraveled. And then my sweetest spot, my sweetest place, is when I get back into that place of prayer. And I allow God just to come into my situation and into my life, and then my life all becomes calm. But you see, there's something that is waging war against that presence. And that is our flesh. You see, but it says this, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why can we say that? How can we say as believers that if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law? I'll tell you very simply. is because there was a promise given in the New Covenant that I would write the law of God on your hearts. And when you are led by the Spirit, you will do what is the desires of God. And this is what is so worrisome. In the last couple of weeks, in the last month, we talked about community. And I kind of got stuck on this thing, on this person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. And I realized we could do nothing without Him. And yet, so often we do everything without Him. And then it goes on to verse 19, and if this is a litmus for us who are fleshly. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. This is our litmus test this morning. And I can look at these things and maybe I do well on some spots. And some of these things I do very well. And then there are other things in here that I do very poorly. And I can liken it to this. There was a guy that was speeding down the highway and in Oklahoma on the turnpikes, it's pretty cool. You can go 80. It's pretty neat. So we push 89. Everybody knows you do 9 miles over or 9 miles per hour over, you're not going to get stopped. Just a little secret for you. I haven't been stopped yet. Um, Anyway, this guy was driving. He broke the speed limit. The cop pulls him over. And he says, sir, do you realize that you were going 90 in an 80 mile per hour speed zone? He said, yes, officer. And the officer says, well, you know that you're guilty of breaking the law. And the guy says, well, well, officer, I paid my taxes this year. Officer, I, I voted this year. Officer, everything that the law says for me to do, I've done this year. 
And the officer says, you're guilty of this one law that you just broke. And see, you who want to keep the law, if you break one of the laws, you're guilty of all the laws. And so when I look at this fleshliness of myself and I look at the Scripture, I'm like, Lord, I'm pretty guilty in some of these areas. And I need your help. And here's what Paul says. I tell you, and this is in verse 21, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what I like about these scriptures is scripture picked, it, it speaks for itself. Well, let's go on to verse 22. But the fruit, is, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can you imagine if you were doing these things well? Against such things, there is no law. And then we go on, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then when I look at that scripture, I'm like, Lord, really? <laughs> Man. I'm not very crucified here, Lord. My passions and desires, they're speaking pretty loud today. But listen, we have hope today. For us, since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so I want to encourage you this coming year is to really examine your heart and your life and where you are at. And instead of making a lot of goals... Try to make a few that matter. And one of those goals that you could make is that I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to have more control in my life. That I'm going to not live by the flesh. And listen to this. This is the thing why New Year's resolutions do not work. And they do not last. It's because we try to do them in our own strength. You have no strength within yourself to do any good. Maybe for a week. Just like the gyms. They're going to be full. I'm going to, i got to go to the Y and deal with people for three weeks. And then after the third week, we're going to be doing pretty good. But we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And a litmus test for us to see if we've really become fleshly is, are you at the center of your universe? If you are at the center of your universe, it's probably, chances are that you are walking in the flesh.
And I admit to you, so often I'm at the center. But you know what my hope is? I can roll out of bed, hit my knees, and say, Jesus, I'm crucified with you. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And Holy Spirit, come fill me. Because I have major need for you today. So if you could stand with me and the worship team comes. So, this is how we're going to do the response time today, and just it's, I'm kind of changing it up. We're just going to sit, and if Greg, if you wouldn't mind strumming your guitar for a moment, is we're going to contemplate, and we're just going to ask for the mercies of God, because really, it's the mercies of God. Anytime He reveals anything to us, it's His mercy. And we're just going to take those to Him this morning. We're going to ask Him to come. And to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And for this coming year. So I'll lead us in prayer and I just ask that you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank You for our lives. We thank You for where You've brought us. We thank You that 2016 had some really highs and had some really lows. But You have always been our constant. And Jesus, when we look at Your Scripture and we see that so often, Lord, our flesh lives loud. And really the sin of idolatry has become us. That we live for us. We live for ourselves. But Jesus, we're asking for You to invade our space. We're asking for You to break through and even areas that we don't want You to break through in. May the mercies of You, God, come. And I just pray and ask You, Lord, in the areas of the flesh, forgive us, Lord, for being fleshly. And for us doing what we wanted to do when we know the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us. And we have been ignoring that still, small voice, Lord. I pray and just ask You change our lives. Change our hearts, Lord. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that You would come. Come in power. Those who have called upon Your name, You've sealed them. You are a pledge for us for eternity. But we need more of You. We need the kingdom of God to come and His rule and reign to be done in our lives. So Jesus, I pray and ask You, Lord, that we would be Jesus-centered and people-focused this year. And by Your grace, Lord, we stand in victory. 
thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name. So this morning we're going to end in a worship song. But I also, and I'll end in benediction, but I also want you to know that if you need prayer, that our elders are here. I'm here and we want to pray for you. And we'll, we'll pray for you after we dismiss. So we, we're not skipping that part this morning. So as we end in worship, we give our worship back to Him. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope.